Welcome to the Teaching with Madly Learning podcast replay, fitting it all together to make teaching and learning in the junior grades more accessible, practical, and fun for both teachers and their students. Here's your host, teacher by day, mom of three, and curriculum creator of all the things from madlylearning.com, Patty Firth. Hey, so I want to talk about classroom management. We're all getting back into the swing of things. And the reality is, is that classroom management is going to be the thing that sets the tone for your room. We can put whatever system or program or philosophy or point system or anything, we can put any of those systems in place. And it's not going to be as effective as the fundamental values that form the foundation of how you run your classroom. So I want to talk about classroom management strategies that are the hidden pieces that make the difference in your classroom from it working to from it failing. So thank you so much for joining me. My name is Patty and I am a teacher here in Ontario, Canada. And every week we have a new episode of Teaching with Family Learning, where we talk about all things teaching in the junior grades. It is my goal through these episodes that we can help you have some fun and engaging activities and ideas for your classroom that helps you fit all of the things we need to do together. So let's dig in to the fundamental values that should be the underpinning of any classroom management program. Number one, we need to have a value of respect from day one. Now, when I say respect, I'm not necessarily saying respect has to be earned. But for me, respect is given. I'm going to give respect to all of my students, whether or not they've earned it, because I want them to treat me in the same manner. I am going to remember that they are humans, that they are little humans, but they are human beings that have feelings and needs. And that while I am the leader and I am in charge of what is happening in that classroom, I really want to look at my position as leader and not as authoritarian dictator. And this can come across in a very many ways. It does not mean that I don't have control of my classroom because I do, but I want to establish that I am setting the lead and I am setting the tone of what respectful behavior looks like in the room. I want to make sure that that is given freely in my classroom and that I respect the students in their abilities, and I celebrate their wins publicly, and I criticize privately as much as I possibly can. And if I cannot criticize privately, I criticize quietly. And I attempt to not give attention to negative behaviors, but I use things such as proximity control, and setting high expectations, focusing on the positive behavior of others, having nonverbal prompts to prompt students to refocus them continually so that I can reinforce the behavior that I am looking for and discourage the behavior that I am not looking for. I also firmly believe that it cannot just be me being the only one making the effort in the classroom but I also need to have students meet me halfway. I will show them and give them all of the respect that I would hope to get in return. And if I'm feeling like I am not getting that in return from students, I will have a conversation with them. Not a top down, you must obey me kind of conversation, but 
this is what you're doing. This is how your behavior is impacting me. This is what I am expecting to see because here's what I have been doing for you to show you respect. And I'm going to ask for that in return. It's about setting clear limits and boundaries with my students about what is acceptable and unacceptable behavior, what is expected behavior and what is unexpected behavior. And really labeling this very clearly and matter of factly and almost without emotion or without any burden placed upon the students that they are required to perform and do what I want them to do simply because I am in the position of authority and power, that we are coming at these things with respect. So what does that actually look like in the classroom? Well, it means in the classroom, we're going to have conversations about what rules are going to be important, what rules we collectively would like to see, and how we are going to enforce that. Not just, I want respect in the classroom, but what does respect look like in the classroom? How do you show respect to me? How do I show respect to you? And that it is just as much their responsibility as it is my responsibility. And why we have these rules and norms and social expectations about how we decide to behave. So if one of my rules is respect and another one of my rules is raise your hand for permission to speak, I'm using that rule and I preface that rule with saying, this is why we have this rule. Do you find it rude when other people interrupt you? Do you find it discouraging? How do you feel valued as a person when you are speaking in a classroom? And most often students will say, well, I feel valued and respected that when I'm speaking, other people are listening. I said, well, how does it feel when you just talk over somebody or somebody is having a side conversation when you're trying to share something? They inevitably will tell me that they don't feel very respected and it actually discourages them from wanting to participate. So then I identify that, well, this is a problem for me too. I actually don't want that to happen. So we have to put this rule in place and we collectively all agree that this is the best rule for this situation, that we need to raise our hand because it's an organized way for us to have a conversation. There will be times and situations and conversations in the classroom where we won't necessarily have to have a hands-up rule with students understand how to have conversations as a large group where only one person is talking. An inside-outside circle or a fishbowl activity is a great way for students to kind of learn how to listen and have conversations with one another where they're attending and they don't necessarily have to have their hands up the whole time. But we discuss this and we discuss why that rule is in place. And we understand what that looks like from me as the teacher perspective, that it is my job to enforce that rule, but that we've collectively come to agree that this is how we want to behave and why. And I will remind them of these conversations and write it down that they helped come up with these rules, that they identified what the purpose of that was. Now, this means too, when students struggle with this skill or they struggle with constantly interrupting or constantly talking out, that I'm going to approach that in the classroom with positivity and with a culture of, I'm not going to get you in trouble, but I'm just simply going to remind you of that rule. Sometimes it's just a matter of me staring at the child and pretending that I can't listen, signaling them that they need to put up their hand waiting for them to be quiet and saying, hey, thanks so much, Susie, for putting up your hand. I really appreciate that. 
and reinforcing the choices other students are making that are demonstrating the appropriate and agreed upon behavior. It also could be simply my teacher face. And even though I'm covered with a mask for most of the day, I can perfect the teacher eye and have a look of, no, no, thank you. Uh, that's not what we're going to happen. Or I can signal non-verbally that that student needs to stop talking because somebody else is. But I try to make my prompts for students as less invasive as possible. I don't want to call out attention to the undesirable behavior. I don't want to have them stop and constantly interrupt or constantly have to get back on them to do that. If I'm finding that someone is constantly doing that, that's a separate conversation about that student that we're going to privately plan out how we're going to fix that. But in the midst of a lesson, as I'm talking about the provinces and territories of Canada and somebody shouts out, I'm not going to stop my whole lesson and redirect that student. Instead, I'm going to signal to them or positively reinforce another student who did do the desirable behavior. And I'm going to make sure that that is communicated of this is what I'm expecting. We need to reform this because what is happening is unexpected and not okay in our classroom. We agree to it. And normally it's just that, it's a prompt. And after I do that for a while, we start seeing more and more desirable behaviors and less and less undesirable behaviors. It means that I need to be positive and celebrate when students are following the rules in our room. I need to celebrate that we've had a really good day. I need to give them lots of positive feedback and positive reinforcement, congratulate them, celebrate them, make a big stinking deal over the smallest things. Today, my students lined up at recess in an actual line when I came outside. Yes, that is expected of them to do it, but it's the first time they did it without a big production. So I'm going to make a big deal of that and reinforce it because they want to feel positive. They want the positive interaction. They want the positive enforcement. They want to know they've done a good job. They want to know they've made you proud because you're building this culture and this community in your classroom. They don't want to be constantly called out for doing the wrong thing. It's discouraging. It doesn't motivate you. Imagine as adults, if we are in the staff room where every time we are late to going to pick up our kids, the principal calls over the PA system and reminds us that once again, we didn't go pick up our kids on time. Or what would you do if every day over the PA system, whenever you forgot your attendance, you had a big announcement to announce to the whole school and all of your colleagues which teachers were delinquent in handing in their attendance. It probably is not going to do what you wanted to do to get your attendance in on time. And if it does, you're simply doing it for the wrong reasons. You're doing it to avoid shame. You're not doing it because you just remember all of the time. So we want to also run our classrooms the same way. We don't want to run our classrooms in a way that shames students for making a mistake, but we do want to celebrate with our students when they do a great job. And if there is times where we need to reinforce behavior, have conversations with students, that should be one-on-one -on -one and done privately and remind our students of what we're expecting and what our expectation is that we do have expectations and they have responsibilities 
in order to have certain privileges in our classroom, that we have rights and we have responsibilities. You get respect, but you also have to do things in the classroom that helps to contribute to that culture of respect. And that if they need more rules or more enforcement or more restrictions placed on them because they are not living up to their responsibilities to the contract that you created, then that's a conversation that that student has with you privately. We try not to make a big production or call it out. One thing that often happens is students will have something in their desk that they are playing with in the midst of you talking. Now, we have a question when this happens. We always question ourselves, do we stop them? Do we assume that students, in order to actually hear us, need to have their hands free, eyes on me? Well, the reality is, is that some students aren't like that. Some adults aren't like that. Some students need to doodle, keep their hands busy. They're still listening. But the key here is to recognize that this might be something different students need to do and to decide whether or not it is interfering with their ability to listen and understand. And this is where you have to really get to know your students and have these conversations. Hey, I noticed that while we were talking, you were reading. I interpret that as you not wanting to pay attention or you not listening. It sometimes feels disrespectful to me that when I'm talking, you're doing something else. Did you intend to show me disrespect by doing that? Or do you have another reason why you're reading during my lesson when I'm talking? And having that kind of conversation instead of going, put your book away, is different. Now, if after that conversation, the book still keeps coming out, maybe that's a time where you simply walk over in the midst of your talking. You simply put your hand out, ask to have the book, turn the desk around, whatever you need to do to help minimize those distractions for that student, but in a way that is not obtrusive to others. We're not going to interrupt our whole conversation to yell at the student to put their book away because it's not going to be helpful and it's probably going to give us the absolute opposite response of what we actually want, which is compliance. And we want the students to be paying attention to what we're saying. So we have to be careful and clear about that. We don't want to call attention to negative behavior because when we do that, in particular in a classroom, what it ends up doing is it ends up being something that is reinforcing that behavior. When we pay attention to negative behavior, we give negative behavior attention and then we are asking that to be repeated. We are setting a culture of shame in our room. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have to deal with the negative behavior because we absolutely do. But it's when, how, and why are you dealing with it is going to be imperative. Sometimes there are certain behaviors that you can ignore when they're not interfering with the learning of others, and you can address them after the fact and just be patient with students. Dealing with behaviors in the classroom is not black and white. It's not everybody needs to do the same thing respectful behavior only is my definition of what respectful behavior looks like. It's not a black and white decision. Appropriate respectful behavior is a gray area that needs to be clearly defined for yourself and for your students. You need to understand what makes them tick. You need to understand what motivates them. You need to understand what does not motivate them and what they need to do to be the best version of themselves.
It also means in our classrooms that sometimes we need to be patient. Sometimes we need to choose the battles that we are going to fight and we pick very basic goals for some of our students. It means that we are picking something that they can do successfully. And for some of our students right now, that might not mean doing anything academic, that it could just simply mean picking what can they do successfully now and expect that and then baby step our way to getting some work done. But some of our students are just not at the same point where they can get work done in the same way. And we need to slowly get those students on board and be patient with the time it takes to get there. Yes, that might mean that we have no evaluation for them and have not a lot of work done. But we also have to recognize that that might not simply be the goal for some students and we mark accordingly. We don't make up marks. We don't try to fudge them or figure them out. But some students are working on different skills and we need to simply evaluate accordingly with D minuses and R's and I's and keep the parents on board, keep your admin on board and keep those lines of communication open so that everyone knows what's happening and it's not a surprise. So we're not doing anything here in isolation with those students, but we are having a team of support and understanding what we're doing, why we're doing it and where we're going. One of the things that I personally use in my classroom to help build a community of learners where we are working collectively on goals that we can positively reinforce not only from myself, but reinforce the goals on others is using Kudos Club. Kudos Club is a group point-based system where this entire class works together to earn points to achieve goals. We pick a goal, we pick target behaviors that we are going to be focused on and working on in our classroom. Then we earn points. When we earn points, we unlock non-monetary, non-food-based awards that students can earn because it's something they have chosen. This is something that we work on each and every day to earn these points so that we can focus on the positive interaction, reinforcing positive behavior, and focusing on where we need to go and why. You can find Kudos Club at my store at www.madlylearning.com forward slash Kudos Club. Thank you so much for joining me. We will return next week with our 200th episode. We are going to be filming this live. It will stream on Facebook and YouTube at 3.30 Eastern time, the first Tuesday in October. I cannot believe that we're already at our 200th episode, but we decided to do things a little bit differently and we want to celebrate with you. So we are asking that our 200th episode is going to be an Ask Me anything session. So we want you to submit your questions to the Ask Us Anything form. We have a form for you to fill out so you can submit your questions and ask me any question about teaching or life or anything in general. Ask me there and I'm going to answer those live. When you join us live on our 200th episode, we are also going to be giving away some cool prizes for people to get so that it can help them in their classrooms. So if you are ready and able to join us and have questions to submit, you can find more details at www.madlylearning.com forward slash 200.
Thanks so much. And we will see you next week for our 200th episode of Teaching with Madly Learning. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Teaching with Madly Learning podcast replay. Join me on www.madlylearning.com for more information on all things teaching in the junior grades. Don't forget, you can always catch this show on the Madly Learning YouTube channel. See you next week for another replay episode of Teaching with Madly Learning.